0: What do you mean when you use the word I? Something
1: settles. So today we're talking to Sarah Daffy. Sarah lives in Melbourne. She is a successful, pretty, she is a really bubbly, bright, happy person. But it's interesting, Sarah is the second person I've ever met who's actually gone through the very rare and incredibly shit uh, experience of depersonalization. Depersonalization is something that I have really, really battled with in my life, probably more so than anything. It's been my most intrusive uh, and most hurtful, debilitating symptom of the hundreds of things I think that I've been through in my time. And so it was really interesting connecting with someone to talk about this experience that often feels so unreal. Um, and talking about it in such a real way. Um, but depersonalization is where you are a stranger to yourself. It is a mild form of disassociation, uh, although it's a mild form compared to more acute forms where you have amnesia or completely lose track of who you are. Uh, it is incredibly severe in its uh, damage and impact to your life. I know for me, um, it was probably the thing that made me felt most crazy and most like an alien because you do... You do feel like you are genuinely nuts um, pretty much all day, every day. Uh, It's a very hard thing to describe unless you've lived it. It's incredibly hard to put words around. But Sarah does so uh, in quite a powerful and elegant way. Um, And uh, for me, hearing a story like Sarah's was what changed the trajectory of of my life to realise that I wasn't nuts, I wasn't alone, um, and that I wasn't a bad person. Um, And I think often that's the inflection point we need to find meaning and fulfillment back in our life again. Trigger warnings in this episode relate to people that are going through depersonalization. So often it helps to know that you're not alone. But then on the flip side of that, hearing about it too much can be super triggering. And so be conscious if high anxiety, panic disorder, or anything in that domain which is closely related to depersonalization, if you're going through it, use it as a way to connect, not a way to lose yourself. Stay with us and feel human. Stay in your body throughout the course of this talk. Uh, It's really important to be grounded when we're talking about matters like this. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Sarah. Go slow. Go strong. One moment at a time, we're all on the journey. I'm very, very proud and excited to welcome Sarah Daffy to our interview today. Um, We have a lot in common. Um, So I don't, for a living, I share my story. And I am now have devoted my entire life to mental health. Um, a lot of what I do is divulge the deepest, darkest personal secrets of mine, um, so that other people feel less alone and so that, uh, people know that they can be understood because for, for me, the thing that changed the trajectory of my life was seeing one guy who I had never in my life felt like anyone had got what I was going through show me that he did, um... And uh, a lot of that confusion came around one specific thing that I'd been suffering with, which was depersonalization. And Sarah, you're a normal, healthy, um, uh, functioning, beautiful, smart adult that has been um, dealt with this issue, which is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly hard to face. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy that you can join us for a conversation.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Um, so as, as someone who has struggled with, um, disassociation and anxiety in your life, yeah. what do you think has been the hardest part for you?
0: I, th- I would probably say not feeling like myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you know, with um, with any mental illness or mental health condition, it it kind of strips you for a period of time until you get to know it um, quite intimately of of a, a part of your identity and mm-hmm. kind of who you thought you were. And I feel like for me, um, the dissociation and the depersonalization that I've experienced, I think is a as, you know kind of a byproduct, I suppose, of my anxiety. Um, has created greater distance between um, who who I identify as being, like who I who I feel like as as a person. It's kind of stripped me of my sense of self. Mm. Um, so for me, that would probably be the hardest thing. Um,
1: so what what. If the outside world was to define yeah. you and and have a sense of self, yes. can you give us a brief rundown of who you are as a person? Sure,
0: yeah. And like okay. a bit of,
1: bit of your story.
0: Yeah. So I'm 31. Mm-hmm. I'm an executive assistant. Um, I've done a lot of writing as well. used to work at News Corp. Um, currently work at the AFL. Um, I'm a twin. I grew up in uh, northeast Victoria, in country Victoria, so in Wangaratta. Um, And after I finished school, I knew I had a passion for communications and writing, but wasn't really 100% sure what I wanted to do. So kind of put uni on the back burner. Um, And I ended up moving to Brisbane, where my dad is located. So parents had separated um, and lived there for about seven years and then Sydney for two. And I've been in Melbourne for about 15 months now. Okay. Yeah.
1: And... um how about kind of like childhood, teenage years? All pretty normal. All
0: really normal. So um, I have a twin sister, uh, Lauren, and and we are um, just chalk and cheese. So um, I always like talk about our childhoods in kind of comparisons. But she she used to be quite an introverted, kind of shy sibling, and I was the extroverted, kind of outgoing. Um, really social kind of, um, you know, outspoken person, I guess. And then as I've gone through different things in my life, I've kind of, um, you know, wrestled with, um, you know, how anxiety has affected those parts of my personality and probably become a little bit more withdrawn and and kind of closed off than what I was previously um but in a nutshell my childhood was amazing like no massive significant horrible events it was it was pretty good yeah
1: um what what are some of the things that you you enjoy doing or enjoyed doing
0: when I was a teenager or more so now? Yeah, well, I I went out a lot. Mm -hmm. So I partied um, quite a lot through my teens. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed catching up with friends, just kind of um, really living in the moment and just um, being quite impulsive, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I always enjoyed reading and music and culture and kind of art. um, But I did have a really active, fun social life. It Mm -hmm. was, you know, when I was kind of... 17 18 19 it brought it on reckless sometimes you know um but nothing that i wouldn't consider to be quite typical of of someone at that age mm-hmm. yeah yeah
1: and so after that, you've you found yourself in a um, in a successful career. You've, yeah. you've been the EA to some pretty big hitters, right? Mm,
0: mm. Yeah, that's right. So I worked, um, I started my EA career at Ernst & Young when I moved to Brisbane mm-hmm. and supported two really senior partners there. Um, and it was amazing. So I was there for five years. I learned all of the professional skills that I have now there. Um, it was an incredibly um, busy, but kind of well-oiled machine in terms of an organization. Um, and I had a passion for the media and, and writing. And then a job came up looking after uh, Christopher Dawe, who's the um, who was the editor and editor of the Courier Mail at the time, and he's now editor in chief of the Australian. I've also looked after um, the CMO at News Corp, and currently look after the head of commercial at the AFL.
1: Awesome. So yeah. So so we've got this um, this tension between the two lives, like I'm intimately familiar with, where. Uh, normal outside life Mm. good career um not stopping your professional um progress Mm. but on the inside uh, turmoil and and an inability to feel like you can articulate really what's going on yeah definitely and so if you were to start to try and articulate some of the things that have bothered you Mm. how would you do that
0: well if I can go back to when it kind of started so when I was about um, 19 I was working in retail at the time and I remember um, I'm I'm sure as with anything as you know with any type of mental illness or anything any emotional kind of thing you go through you kind of feel like this is something that's just popped up and kind of hit you in the face overnight but um, I'm sure it was it was a slower progression than that but it certainly felt like it kind of came out of nowhere Um, So as I mentioned before, really social, active, outspoken, outgoing person um, who couldn't get enough of people and life and everything. Um, And I kind of woke up um, one day and I think I'd been feeling off for a couple of days and um, was experiencing sensations and feelings that I had never grappled with in the past. Um, I remember not being able to sleep. That's how it started. So chronic, chronic um, insomnia. And not just insomnia where you're restless in bed going, you know, I haven't had any sleep, but insomnia where your mind is is just racing at 100 miles a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it, it all kind of crept up on me really, really suddenly. I just – I was overwhelmed with panic. That's, mm-hmm. that's the word I would use to describe it every single part of my life um, felt reason to panic um, to me, so that happened and spiraled out of control really quickly. Um, I was uh, trying to pinpoint exactly where it had come from. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'd gone out and partied pretty hard, done a lot of things, thinking, "Have I created this? Have I have I done something that's that's broken my mind?" Or mm-hmm. you know, but very much felt like I was just completely losing all mental control. Um, and I just remember one day getting ready to go to work I'd kind of bottled it for a couple of days just survival got through um and I mean simple things like how do I even get up and have a shower how do I put on my makeup how do I eat breakfast how do I how can I even function to think about how I can get in a car in Mm -hmm. this state um and having no reason to um to you know pinpoint it again so I, I opened up to my mum initially and just said to her, um, I, "I'm not okay. Um, there's something going on with me." Um, no history of mental illness in my immediate family, so immediate, you know, my mum's reaction was, "Well, what do we need to do? Is there something like are you unwell in the tummy? Do I need to, you know, do I need to call someone? What's going on?" And I remember sitting in our hallway, just st- my face streaming with tears, and I just pointed to my head. And I said, no, I'm not okay. There's something wrong with my mind. I'm not okay. Yep. And she didn't understand it. Um, and I love her so much for this. It's, it, it, I imagine as a parent it took real courage. But she, she said, okay, um, do you need to go to the doctor? And I said, I think so. She booked me an appointment with the doctor that afternoon and, and drove me there. And that's when it all kind of started. Yeah.
1: I relate to that on a million levels. Yeah. Um, I think the part I relate to most is some mental health issues are very, not easy to describe, but you can kind of wrap your head around, even if you haven't been through it, I can kind of envisage what that might be like. Sure. Um, even, even really complex illness, like bipolar one, where someone's fully manic, Mm. you're like, I could kind of get what it's like to be manic. Um, uh, maybe not to that extent, but I get it. The thing about some ill health issues, particularly depersonalization, mm. is the complete and utter inability to describe what it's like. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: In the describing what it's like, you feel fucking insane. You do, yeah. Because it is so hard to describe, and then when people look at you and go, "Oh, like that confusion or that." Um, I wouldn't say that they're frightened by what I was saying, but they, I very much didn't feel like the key was going into a lock. It was just kind of circling around in in the air. That only contributed to what the fuck is going on. Mm. Um, And so I felt that you experienced some of that, right? Mm,
0: mm. Of course, Yeah. yeah. I mean... Um, the depersonalization, as it were, kind of happened for me a long time later. So I think um, it was a product of probably going through what was very chronic anxiety for a very long time and, and struggling to find the right medication to help me with that, the right professional to talk to. Um, I've had quite a journey um, in that space. It's been quite complicated. Um, but to summarise, I think... Um, how it feels and and your internal dialogue going through something like that you do feel about shit crazy and and this was when I had very much already come to terms with having a mental illness I'd been very outspoken about having anxiety and what it's like to go through that Um, but when it came to experiencing the depersonalization and the dissociation that I sometimes will have after um, pretty pretty intense panic attacks I've I've been hesitant before to even sit down with my sister you know I remember trying to explain it to my mum once and getting kind of like a sideways look of I wish I understood what you mean but mm-hmm. I don't yeah. um and the only way I can kind of summarize it um and again it's I think one of those things like you say that you probably won't understand until you go through it it's not like a uh, schizophrenia where you can talk about hearing voices and everyone can not know maybe what that feels like but imagine what that sensation is like it's it's depersonalization is such a complex thing to articulate but the best way that I have tried to do it in the past and, and the way in which I've read about others also doing it is if just feeling like a stranger to yourself so feeling like you really don't have as I was saying before a sense of your own um self and identity you feel foreign to yourself it's kind Mm -hmm. of like and again a strange example but I'm sure you'll understand looking at your limbs and feeling like they're not a part of you feeling like they're not attached to your body it's 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 almost feeling like you're in a chronic state of watching yourself and monitoring yourself from the outside. So much like what happens to trauma victims when they've gone through something intense like um, rape or, or a bombing or, you know, like some sort of homicide, your body has this amazing way of trying to protect you by removing yourself from its unit to almost, you know, kind of hide you from the trauma that you're experiencing what I have found is through going through, um, you know, consistent exposure to trauma, which is anxiety at at different points in my life. That's been my body's way of, of flicking on the protection switch. Like I'll, I'll stop you from experiencing what you're going through by taking over and almost allowing you to experience nothing in the process. So I often feel quite numb um, when I go through that sensation of feeling um, you know intense depersonalization and yeah it's it's chronic, but it's it's a really hard thing to articulate yeah mm.
1: well, I have definitely felt all those things yeah um, and uh, and more and it is um it's i think the 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 most strange and kind of fucked up thing in a way is that the words that you're coming out of your mouth saying. I know that this is my left hand, but mm. it doesn't feel like my left hand. Seeing them come out of a mouth like yours, yeah. this professional, <laughs> you know, put together businesswoman, um, is the most curious thing that um, that. Yeah, I really, 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 really battled with that for a yeah. long time. Just. Yeah. Um, not being able to feel seen, hmm. not being able to feel understood, which I honestly think is our greatest need as humans is to feel understood. I agree. And the, um yeah, just that complete, holy shit. And you, you hear yourself talking, you're like, what the fuck is going on? It's so on? bizarre. It's
0: so bizarre. <laughs> and,
1: um yeah, but as you say, when you actually start to wrap your head head around it, and for a long time I didn't know it was that. I thought it was anxiety. And yeah. I'm like, no one else that I know who's anxious is feeling this. No. Um, and once you start to wrap your head around it and go, oh, the body's actually doing this for this, this, and this reasons, and it's a protection mechanism to eject, and you're like, okay, I get that. Mm-hmm. And then that, helps, uh, that helped me anyway a lot. Yeah. Um, kind of buy into the rationale yeah um and it's it's interesting and ironic that so heart on my sleeves programs all start with the word real so real conversations is our learning platform real mates is our peer support platform real stories is um is kind of what we do on social with the sharing and real talk is the podcast Mm. the I uh, I went home the other day and I kind of looked into all of the books that I had on my shelf because I went on a absolute binge oh. of study and learning trying to get through when when I was ex- experiencing deep depersonalization. Yes. Yeah. And the book that was on the top of the pile was called Unreal. Unreal. Learning to deal with not feeling real. Okay. And I didn't intentionally do that. Yeah. Like I didn't intentionally call it. Real talk. I didn't intentionally call it real stories. There you go. And so, the the real comes from my belief that being authentic, and being genuine, and bringing ourselves into the world, is the way to feel understood and feel seen and blah blah blah. Um, But it's the opposite of what I was feeling. So it's ironic that someone like me is actually promoting real talk. I know. There you go. (laughs) Well,
0: it's it's yeah, yeah, quite serendipitous.
1: Um, So. What did you find was a pivot point for you to start feeling like you could get your head around things and manage?
0: With with that particular...
1: Well, so, so you said the anxiety started to flare up. Sure, yeah. And you started to feel weird. Yes. And then that kind of manifested in panic attacks. Yeah. Um, started to impact kind of all domains of life. Yeah. Um, what was the point in which you're like, something needs to change and did change?
0: So I think I acted quite quickly. I've got to say, I, do, I, I mean, I really feel for people who go through any type of mental illness and, and hold it in for a period of months or even years. I I can't even imagine what my life would have been like had I not gone to the doctor that day. It was the only time... I mean, even living in that in that strange kind of reality of, of these symptoms I didn't even understand for, you know, a week or whatever it was, was, was a torture. It was terrible just waiting for it to go away. Um, it doesn't go away. Um, so I felt like I got answers that day with the GP. It was, I mean, I walked in. Um, I remember mum kind of getting up to walk in with me and I remember saying, no, I think this is a conversation I need to have on my own because... What I was thinking and feeling was so confronting to me, and I wanted to get the the right treatment, the most accurate treatment for me. And I just thought, I can't be having my mum sit down and, and be listening to some of the thoughts that are going through my head at the moment and how I'm feeling, which was just completely complete insanity. It was terrible. Um, so to actually sit down with the GP, who was just an angel, she was amazing, um, who listened. Um, quite intently to what I was experiencing, took her time with me, um, and and you know I was beyond sobbing. It was I was kind of in like a visceral howl when I was there. I was crying from my soul. It was you know so chronic. Um, to have her actually listen to everything I explained and my fear of going crazy and my fear of losing my mind and what if it's happened because you know I did too much of this on this weekend or this happened whatever to have her actually sit down opposite me and say look what you're going through is horrible and it's it's something that a lot of people go through and and here's what it's called and for her to actually say what you're experiencing is not insanity is not you know we don't need to put you in a car and and transfer you through to the psychiatric clinic you've you've actually got a really common condition that can be treated with medication that I can prescribe you today so i think for me that was the turning point. It was, it was realising, okay, it's, there's a name for this condition. It's common. I know nothing about it. It's, um, but it's, it's something that's treatable and I, I felt like I was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I was really lucky, actually, with the medication that um, she started me out on. It um, was quite a new one at the time, I believe. But um, the, I, I received benefit from taking it after two weeks, like an extreme benefit, like almost returning to a point in which I felt a sense of normal again. Um, but the problem with that was um, it, I developed this mentality about mental illness and about the anxiety that I experienced that, okay, I've, I've gone through this. And I've had a hiccup and I've fallen in a heap and here I am. And here's this tablet that fixes it. I wasn't taught, you know, that, I mean, she mentioned talk therapy to me, but it wasn't really overly encouraged. And it wasn't until years later when I experienced anxiety that was 100 times more chronic than what I was, um, you know, back in, in her office when I was 18, 19. And I was taking my tablet every day and it wasn't working and then I was being changed to other tablets that also weren't working. Um, it wasn't until I reached that point when I really had to stop and, and think about things quite holistically, um, look at who I was as a person, the expectations I was placing on myself, um, the people I was surrounding myself with, the judgment that I placed on myself, and the, and the shame I was carrying around for having an illness. Because an up until that point, I treated it as this thing that I had that I took a tablet for every day. And, and I didn't give it an identity beyond that. So for me, a lot of my learning came maybe five or six years later, the next time I did hit a massive anxiety spiral um, and required quite urgent care. And the solution that I was provided initially was no longer working for me. Mm-hmm. So I had to change my whole approach to mental illness, the way I treated it, um, the, the help that I sought out, the discussions I had with people. I had to rediscover a part of myself that I didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A
1: few things I want to pick up on. Really good points. So um, the, the feeling of not, I, I know what it's like to not feel understood by a therapist, mm. which is Fucking horrible Mm. because you're like, I get that my parents might not get it. I get that my siblings might not. But this person has literally gone to school for like five years, and if they don't, yeah, holy shit, I'm
0: in trouble. Yeah, I'm in
1: trouble. And I felt that, and I was literally told so many times by different therapists, Mm. I don't know what's going on. Mm. Now that is a minefield because you said you went like what two weeks? I went uh, ten years without ever being told what I was experiencing was anything. Um, So I literally carried You Are Insane Without Reason for 10 years. Um, And actually, that's just to do with that illness. I carried another one for 20. So I was 26 when I found out that what I was going through was a mental health issue Mm. that started when I was seven that I got told was, like, I got told briefly, but we never really unpacked it and I... Um, took it on as that's who I am as a person Mm. and I literally only worked through that a a few years ago but the reality is no one talks enough about that psychologists or doctor experiences aren't always great yeah GP experiences for me particularly was like earth shuddering. I could not step foot because they were like I just feared them like gods like if they said that I was nuts it confirmed it and I was done yeah so I avoided the GP because I was petrified. Yeah. I avoided psychologists because I felt like it was futile. I had already tried and yep. people had told me that um, that they didn't know or that I was anxious and I was like, that just doesn't fucking feel it's, right. You're not helping yeah, me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so for anyone out there who feels incredibly scared by the whole experience mm. or feels like they're not understood or – that they're searching for something, then I know what it feels like. And Mm. Sarah, you know what it feels like. I know
0: exactly what it feels like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and I think it's just nice sometimes to know that. Um, And sometimes that can be more helpful to feel understood by someone who's gone through it versus a professional. Right. Um, And the mind is an incredibly complicated thing and that there might not just be a tablet. I think a tablet is a really important part of a recipe Mm. for a lot of people, Mm. including myself, Mm. um, of which you pull that lever in the toolkit alongside all the other things. Mm. Because I think ultimately what we need, the three things that we need, in my opinion, is connection, coherence, and confidence, Yeah. which is I feel loved. I feel like I'm enough. I feel safe in containers of relationships that are close to me parents, friends, colleagues, whatever, but Mm. I'm seen as a human being Mm. in all my flaws and all my strengths. Mm. Second thing is coherence. I have a kind of stable sense of who I am. I have a stable sense of my story, my past, how unhelpful coping behaviors might be playing out in my everyday life. Mm -hmm. And the third thing is confidence, which is hope on steroids. Not just things can get better, but I genuinely believe they can happen to me. Yeah. Because some things can be so insidious and consistent and uh, decay at such a rate that you're like, there's a lot of good stories out there, but trust me, I'm not the guy that comes onto this podcast and tells mine. Yeah. Because there is no good good ending. That was the narrative I had for a long time. Yeah. And I am still scared to say that out loud today. Yeah. As a guy who runs a mental health charity and does this for a living. Yeah. I still wonder. I'm like is the penny going to drop one day yeah. and I'm just going to be fucked up again? And it's going to be horrible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is this just like a good streak or like... And so there's part of an imposter in me that still exists. Yeah. Um, but the more and more I have less to hide from, mm. the less scary it is.
0: Mm. I agree. Thoughts? I 100% agree. And I think... I when I had my last um I don't I kind of refer to it as my internal meltdown when I had my last quite intense internal meltdown I was in Sydney about two years ago um and I was in pieces after that happened I mean physically so at the moment I'm 65 kilos I was 52 um back then I was having about 10 panic attacks a day. Um, I was so anxious that, um, taking Valium to relieve that made me anxious. So the thought of sedating myself made me anxious, which might seem weird to other people, but when you're, when you're anxious and you're grappling with things like control and sense of self, you don't like the feeling of taking something that's taking that control away from you, even if you're out of control. Um, so I, I was in the worst place I've ever, ever, ever been in. And I got through that. Um, It took months, um, about eight. Um, And and, I mean, I was doing a lot of hard work in those months. I was going to doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, meditating in the forest in my mum's, you know, from my mum's place in in the country, um, doing everything I could to help myself. And the anxiety was that bad, I was agoraphobic for a period of time. So I feared even leaving the house in case I would have a panic attack in um, a supermarket and not be in a position in, in which I could easily kind of flee to safety. It was that bad. Um, and I remember thinking at that time, I'm never going to get better. I am that statistic that you don't read about. I am that, I am that case that, you know, you don't – I am not your success story. I, I – I felt like I was 100% medication resistant. I felt I was being, um, you know, kind of medicated and and medicated more and more and more by psychiatrists who were trying to kind of blanket out everything I was experiencing and nothing was working. So I felt I was beyond medicinal help. Um, Like you, I would sit down and talk to psychologists about what I was experiencing and and almost have to talk to them about my symptoms um, as if I was teaching them about what those things are uh, which gave me no confidence God, in it, yeah so in the, you, you're paying someone to to actually sit down and and really listen to you and and yeah. give you the advice that you need and they're <laughs> kind of looking at you like hang on can you give me an exact summary on that stuff <laughs> i've literally you know? looked at
1: some therapists and been like when you guys rocked up to uni that Wednesday to learn in the DSM about what some of this stuff is, were you fucking asleep? Yeah. like what You was were high. The deal you there? were
0: somewhere. You weren't at uni that day. You
1: certainly weren't paying attention yeah. because uh, I don't get how this is a, a foreign story. No. no. Um, not to shit on therapists, by the way, because of course not. I have I have a one particular two particular therapists that have been top three reasons why I'm healthy. Same. Um but but it, I guess our point is it's not uncommon to have bad experiences. Oh, my goodness, yeah. no.
0: And it's just – it's like a relationship as well. I mean, my – it's, it, it, it takes you a long time to kind of find someone that you're comfortable really just – I, I think the minute that you find someone that you can 100% unload to mm. without feeling that fear of, oh, my God, are they are they going to commit me if I tell them about what I'm at? They look really unfamiliar with what I'm saying. Should I shut up now? Yeah. The minute that you're not sitting down and talking to someone like that but rather kind of talking like you and I are now, like you're kind of speaking to a friend, is mm. is the minute you've kind of found your therapist, Correct. I believe. Um, and Correct. I've got that now in my psychiatrist and I pay a shitload of money yep. to see him. Um, um, and I see him every week on a Tuesday okay. and I never miss that appointment awesome. like ever. And he is um, my muse. you know if he if he doesn't understand something I'm experiencing, he will learn it. Yes. Um, he always he always does though. he's he's quite um, quite good at, at um, treating quite complex um, anxiety, sufferers. Um but he is my go-to and he he walks me through life every single step of the way, every single week. And I could not do it without him. Um, but he had inherited um a really treatment resistant um cynical um, judgmental patient in me because of the experience that I'd had um, before meeting him. So, uh, so circling back to where I was talking about before where I felt like I was lower than I could get and I was never going to get better. I did get better. It did take a lot of time. And after then I've, I've jolted on a lot of oh shit moments about is this going to happen again? I feel it coming on. Is this going to happen again? But I've just learned that when fear is your kind of modus operandi right and and that's something you experience every day I don't need to add fear to my fear I don't need to give my fear something to be fearful of whether that's relapsing or going through something again and and I've since come to learn um you know since that last meltdown I've had plenty more and and I've gotten through those okay too so I think um just ensuring that you have the support resources around you in case that happens is the only thing you need to be sure of not is that never going to happen to me again? Because
1: totally agree. Couldn't have said about it better myself. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't have said about it better myself. So I just want everyone to hear that point. Um, building the plan and building the structure around you is more important than trying to stop it happening in the first place. Yeah. Um, build the well so that the house can burn down if it needs to. Correct. Um that just gives you a lot of headspace. It does. Yeah, it's a really important point. And um I hope everyone out there feels like they're allowed to fuck up, they're allowed to relapse and that it's the confidence in their the ability to feel caught mm-hmm. which is the sustainable element of this whole thing, right? Correct, yeah. correct.
0: Anything beyond that is unsustainable and you are just Adding an additional layer of pressure to yourself To Mm -hmm. not fuck up And what do you think happens when we tell ourselves a hundred times You know, I can't fuck up, I can't fuck up You're going to fuck up.
1: Yeah. Don't think about a blue elephant.
0: Exactly. (laughs) So just make sure you've got, you've got, like you say, the accurate, um, the right support resources in place to help you Mm -hmm. or to catch you when you go through that. And normally just knowing that in the back of your mind is enough to just give you the comfort to know that if it does happen, you're going to be okay.
1: And speaking of which, those who might be scared of being institutionalized in a psychiatric hospital, definitely check out Ruby Wax's podcast I did with her. Um, it's, it's not the bird who flew over the cuckoo's nest anymore. Uh, it's, she goes there and has her birthday lunches and, um, (laughs) and literally just goes and hangs out and drinks there. She loves it. So, um, fearing hospital is more of fearing that I'm not going to be enough, that I'm not going to be accepted, that I'm too far gone. Whereas for a lot of people, it's home. Correct. It's the only people that do get them. They're your people (laughs) and
0: that's okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and so... Uh, yeah, I want to make sure that we're not we're not stigmatising that either and that we're making everyone feel that whatever they need at the time is, yeah. is enough and ultimately not fearing it because it is what it is. No, <laughs> and
0: there are resources like that in place for all types of reasons. I mean, I've begged my parents to institutionalise me before when I've been <laughs> chronically unwell and felt the guilt of um, them carrying me through that. Um, And sometimes if I look back, I think maybe things would have happened quicker or been easier had I been in that environment. Um, But I certainly know people who have gone through that experience. And when I say people, I'm not talking about 31-year-old peers. I'm talking about CEOs and executives um, in really big organisations who have done things like that. um, Some of them publicly um, and have sought great, benefit from it with zero shame yeah so uh, yeah let's let's try to i i think change our perception of of what what these types of support resources are we're no longer in the 80s it's Mm -hmm. no longer one flew over the cuckoo's nest and it's more like a ruby wax kind of okay this is where i need to be right now and and these people will probably understand me better Mm -hmm. than anyone else at the moment
1: and so going back to your point around like the ceos of the world yeah um I believe, and I talk a lot about how you can have all the services you want at an organization to apparently support people, but unless there's a culture, then there's no point having any services because yeah. no one's going to utilize them. Correct. And the fastest way to transmit an acceptable culture is to tell stories yeah. and to model behavior and to say, it's not just okay to speak up. I'm going to speak up. Mm. Uh, it's not just okay to um, manage a, a career with mental health. A leader comes forward and, and they're like, I'm doing it. I've done <laughs> um, it. Yeah. Or, yeah I'm, I've done it. and um... What uh what were some of your biggest challenges in the workplace managing mental
0: health? This year? Oh my god, so many. Yeah. Um so Where do many. I start? Where do I even start? <laughs> so um it, early on in my career it wasn't even mentioned. Okay. Yeah. So for the first 5 years in my career it, w- it wasn't even mentioned. For me actually funnily enough um it wasn't really a conversation. I kind of went all out. So I went straight from 1 to 10 when it came to kind of outing myself. Yeah. Um and I actually um I actually wrote an opinion piece about what it's like to see suffer from quite chronic anxiety and it was a very raw um very vulnerable um, pretty full-on um, three-page kind of manifesto that I had published on every single News Corp website in the country Jesus. Um, and that was kind of my hey I have anxiety thing Yeah, welcome you know? to the, welcome yeah. To the so I, I just decided you know if I and that was an act of bravery in itself I mean it was terrifying and it's one of those things where you leap and think later I yeah. just thought if I just get this done and deal with it later then that's yeah, fine yeah I can't
1: talk myself out Correct.
0: of it Correct. <laughs> um, but, but uh, so in terms of telling my employer at News Corp, that's how that happened. Um, I I wrote it in one of their publications and they were incredibly supportive um, and still remain so in my life. um, Two of the bosses I've had at News Corp are amazing supports. I've had other bosses who haven't been very supportive who were kind of like, okay, we'll do whatever you need to do to deal with that, but don't really make it a problem, mm-hmm. you know, or don't kind of um, don't kind of introduce it as anything that's going to bear any kind of impact on my approach to work or anything. I've been really schooled by some people and shamed, by some people about, um, the reality of kind of coming out about a mental health condition like that. And for a while, that made me quite cautious about who I told about it um, mm-hmm. professionally. Um, but I'm, I'm glad I kind of came around and, and steed away from that type of thinking into a more, well, that was just a bad experience. Because I do think you can seek great benefit um, from telling your employer about what you're going through, if you feel like you're in a safe enough space to do so. That may not be your boss. Mm-hmm. That may be someone in HR, mm-hmm. or that might be a friend who you go to lunch with yeah. at work. It's it's just a support resource. Um, but just back on the CEO kind of um, leading by example point where I currently work at the AFL, um, Darren Birch, who's the general manager of um, digital and and audience. Um, He's held quite a senior portfolio at the AFL for um, quite a number of years. He has been very, very open with staff about his experience with depression um, and the treatment he has sought for that, some of which has been going to actually get inpatient care Mm -hmm. um and similar to Wayne Schwoss you know the AFL player I actually sat in an AFL um seminar one day where um Darren Birch and Wayne both stood up and talked about what it's like to be typecast as this strong kind of alpha male character but yet you're dying on the inside and had both of them encourage staff to speak out and and to really make use of things that we've got available at work like employment and you know employee assistance programs or we do lots of mindfulness classes at the AFL I I feel like I'm in a quite a good environment when it comes to actually an employee practicing what they an employer practicing what they preach when it comes to Um, promoting positive mental health but that I believe that's only come from a a case of you know a positive example in Darren Birch, someone who's really put himself on the line Mm. um, to be judged and and his story was published in you know mainstream media before Mm -hmm. he went on extended leave it was he had to wake up literally reading about his experience with the public and the paper. Um, But he's done so much work in that space. Yeah.
1: Do you, what, what were some of the things that you struggled with other than not being able to tell anyone, but like, would you like go to work and then be like, I have to leave immediately? Oh Uh, yeah.
0: That's happened um, on many occasions. It's only really now I would say at 31 after having anxiety for, and chronic anxiety for about 12, 13 years that I've actually had the bravery in the last, I would say probably three or four, three years, three years to actually sit through a panic attack without fleeing. So, um, and that might be happening in, um, meetings or on the way to work on the train. I'm actually walked into panic attacks. So knowing that I'm going to have one in a certain situation and accepted that I'm going to sit through it and it's going to be shit, it's going to be horrible, but I'm going to be okay. Um, but definitely, um, in the early days of having anxiety, especially where I, I kind of felt like I needed to protect myself from what was going on, where the, the thoughts in my mind were very much kind of lending truth to the possibility of me maybe having a heart attack or maybe hyperventilating, when those physical symptoms were still very much a dangerous kind of reality to me, um, yeah, I would, I would get up and walk out of work and go home unwell. I would um, have to grab a friend and say, you know, I just need to, I need to get out of here now. I need to talk to someone. Can you, can you just, can you help me? Can you help me walk out of the building right now? I can't walk. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, I've, been there. I've had so many different experiences you know deep breathing um in the toilet cubicle at work um Mm. taking myself I often have headphones in at work and people are kind of like maybe think that's rude or why should I headphones in a lot of the time at work I'm trying to meditate Mm -hmm. through anxiety if I'm feeling it quite intensely on that day um so yeah look I've done I've been put in a million and one um fight or flight Situations at work and, and also socially in which I've had to overcome that. Um, and I'm quite proud of the fact that now I can sit through like even the worst of worst panic attacks and, and you know, not really believe in any truth that anything is going to harm me or anything bad's going to happen. Um, but I have to work fucking hard mm. to maintain that. Yep. I have to work fucking hard to, you know, get onto the train that's packed you know, at my station heading into Flinders Street and know that at some point, probably by the time I hit Pran or South Yarra, I've figured out, I I will have some type of um, anxiety kind of overload and at at times that will, um, you know, kind of tip over into a panic attack. But that I've got my meditation lady speaking to me in my ears. I've got some water. I've, I've, um, I'm able to breathe and really slow that down and be comfortable enough to sit in it and know that by the time I kind of get to work, it, it will have passed. Yeah. Usually. Yeah.
1: So my take out here is if you ever see Sarah on the train, (laughs) (laughs) leave
0: her alone,
1: leave her alone. Don't stare at her. Or at least go up and just start breathing. Yeah. Let's chant together. (laughs) Start doing some oms. Uh, no, in all seriousness, I know, I know exactly what that's like. I've, I've been there too. So, um, yeah, it uh, it does get easier.
0: Yeah, it does. It definitely does. And yeah. every experience like that that you get through, and and this is something my psychiatrist tried to convince me of for a long time, and I wouldn't have a I wouldn't have a bar of it, um, but. It, it, you know all about exposure therapy, right? It's it's kind of every time you sit in that discomfort and get through it, your brain develops a memory of that time that you did that. So instead of your memory being, I feel like I'm going to have a panic attack, I need to flee and somehow save myself from this and, and get to the safest place place possible your brain remembers well no you sat here last time and you felt as unsafe as you do now and 15 minutes after that happened and you went through that you were perfectly okay Mm -hmm. and i promise you it's it's a hard thing to do and you need to teach yourself how to do it with a trained professional don't go jumping out of planes or, or tackling you know exposure therapy um in in a way in which isn't recommended but when you learn how to do that um the frequency of your panic attacks or at least i found for myself um Mm. dramatically decreases
1: yep yeah agreed so um a lot of common ground here could speak forever with you um what what is what is something that you would kind of tell people listening they're really in it what would you want to have heard
0: um I think first and foremost, going through whatever you are going through um, is hard enough on its own. It's it's a hard enough thing to be experiencing on its own. Please try your best um, to learn to teach yourself to not add a level, any kind of level of shame to that because um, we all go through... S- A lot of stuff and um, we all have our own stories and experiences and what you're going through is just your story and experience. It doesn't make you any less of a person. It doesn't make you weaker than the person next to you. If anything, you will develop the most amazing strength um, just by going on this journey that you're on. So please don't feel inferior or that you need to carry around a sense of shame for what you're experiencing because it's completely unnecessary. And and please just trust that, mm. I would say, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think hearing your story is um, people, it'll, it'll become easier for people to feel less shame when they know that they can with stories like this that Correct. they just go, shit, that's me or a part of me. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate you wearing your heart on your sleeve today. My pleasure. Uh, and for having a chat. Um, where can people find more of, of you, like with professional boundaries, so that they don't inbox you and sure. go crazy? But. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, well, I'm pretty open, actually, about my um, about mental health and and sharing some things that I find to be helpful on my Instagram page. Cool. So you can check that out. So at Sarah underscore L underscore Daffy, mm-hmm. um, and yeah that's probably the best channel channel i would find i've had a lot of people reach out to me on instagram about various things and and the other thing you can i mean daffy's quite a unique name if you google it you might come across some of my articles which i hope to be um of some sort of help to you as well
1: cool awesome um thanks everyone for listening and i hope you got a lot out of this one thank you